May God bless us this morning as we hear his word, as we worship him in spirit and truth, and as we call upon him to hear us now and always because of his son, Christ Jesus. Amen. Howdy. Y'all doing all right? If I were walking up to you and you had never met me before, what are the two first questions you will probably ask me? Well, what's your name? Good. I don't know. Not everybody cares how I'm doing. But what's your name and uh, what do you do? All right. So you need to get to know me. What's your name and what do you do? See, the thing is that oftentimes we end up starting off with this idea because now, well, well, now we have an idea of who you are, okay? It's like, hi, who, who are you and what do you do? What's your name? What do you do? I'm an engineer. Oh, oh, okay. I get you. I, I, I understand who you are. I'm a, I'm a teacher. Oh, okay. Got it. I understand who you are. I'm a farmer. Oh, great. I'm a lawyer. Oh, geez. <laughs> I'm a social media influencer. What, what is that? I post pictures of myself online and get people to pay me for it. Oh, great. That's a job. <laughs> but with that is that oftentimes what we realize is that trying to find out what a person does actually completely diverts us from the parts that we oftentimes really want to know. For example, how many times is it that I, in my naivete, walk up and I say, Hi, I'm Jason. What's your name? What do you do? Oh, hi, I'm retired. And then it's sort of like this awkward pause of, uh, oh, okay, where do you go from here? Well, well what did you do for, for many, many years? As if there is no longer anything else to be interested in. Or, well, what do you do now, and then it's you're asking the person to scramble and figure out how to fill in the blanks. Or, oftentimes, whenever we realize that somebody might be a stay-at-home parent, and there might be a very real need for that, and so it's like, well, what do you do? I try not to go crazy every day. Oh, you're a stay-at-home parent. Oh, okay, great. And so with that is that oftentimes this whole idea of what do you get paid to do? We oftentimes think is the same thing as what you're passionate about and what you care about, when in reality, oftentimes, we're just trying to make ends meet. And we don't realize that people take what we do and somehow connect that to our identity. I am what I do is something that we do as a society, something that we end up saying, whether we think about it or not. The phrase you know, work to live or live to work, and everyone's hoping that they're the first and not the second. But with that is that we oftentimes get confused with these ideas of accomplishments. What is it that you can point to and say, you see, that's me. What were your promotions? What were your tasks, your titles? How were you recognized? How are you recognized? And how do you hope to be recognized? Because that's what we oftentimes see as a major part of somebody's identity. And then I ended up hearing uh, about this story that was discussing the idea of like work-life balance and actually finding joy and satisfaction in what you do. And, and one of the things that was fascinating was that oftentimes 
some of the people who find the most satisfaction working in healthcare might be people like the custodians, the janitors. And you might pause, you might say, well, wait a minute. Why, why would that be so satisfying? Is that, you know, you're not the doctors, you're not the nurses, you're not the x-ray techs, you're not the blood drawers who get to like shove needles into people and somehow they get a lot of joy out of that. You're not a phlebotomist, I think that's the term for it. I don't know. But with that is why the custodian? And so what they did is they had a follow-up interview with this particular individual that they were looking at to get a sample from. And, and he basically said, I make people's lives better. I help them to heal. I help them to make that progress back into the real world. And they're like, the custodian? Because then they started equating his worth and his identity with a task that he had to do. And as they pursued it more, they realized he actually was going around and he would talk to people wherever they were at in the hallways. He had enough time that he could pause what he was doing and check on where people were at. He could sometimes wheel people from room to room if they needed it. Or he would even actually make a point that in their room, he would check to see, has anybody changed out the paintings in the last week? Because he knew that they needed to be able to see the passage of time and that if he could at least switch things up, they could realize that time was passing and they could still feel grounded in the real world. This person wasn't putting his identity with a specific task. He was putting his identity as saying, I'm doing what I know is needed at this point in time. But even further than that, when we go and we look at Isaiah 43, and it says so much of this, where it speaks about when God is, is reaching out and saying, Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. And it says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The, the wild beasts will honor me. I give water in the wilderness to give drink to my chosen people. Is that so much of our identity keeps coming from the things that we do, and yet God keeps bringing us back to what it is that he does. But this idea of I am what I do even goes another step further. What would you say is your most prized possession? And, and yes, I know you're all supposed to say your Bible. I, I get it. Okay, it's all right. Nobody's in trouble. Nobody's watching at all online around the world. But with that is if you were to think of what is your most prized possession? What is it that each week you're making sure that you have cared for and taken care of. And I will say that for the longest time, it was definitely my truck. And I had this Ford F-150, and I had had it, and I would finally paid it off, and I was so happy with it, so proud of it. And yet, it was time that I knew that I was going to go overseas for a year, and yet, what was the biggest thing I was struggling with? I had to sell my truck because I didn't know for sure how long I would be overseas, and I'd have to be paying for it the entire time. I'm not getting any use out of it. I don't know what's going to happen in the meantime, and it was this feeling of loss, because I'd moved around a lot, and there'd been a lot of transitions, and this truck had been with me, and so the whole time I'm thinking, if I lose this truck, 
This is the one thing that I can look at and say, that's mine right now. And letting it go ended up being one of the hardest things that I had to do in order to go. And the thing with this is that, uh, fascinatingly enough, is that it turned out that uh, right before I came back, the person that I'd sold it to ended up getting uh, completely creamed by an F-250 in a parking lot. And it turned out that if I hadn't sold him my vehicle, he had been hit so hard he probably would not have made it. So my F-150 saved a life, apparently. And I'm very, very grateful for that. That's the thing, though, is that oftentimes we end up spending so much time saying, I am what I do, and those accomplishments lead to I am what I have. And so much of the things that, it's not that they're bad. I mean, I'm certainly glad I have a house. Apparently, she's supposed to get me a girlfriend too, so you better get on this. But with that, though, is that at the same time, these are gifts and tools, but we turn them into our identity. Is that oftentimes we lose track of it because we think that we are what we have. And that's the thing with Philippians 3. Before our passage section, Paul had just gone into all these things where he was describing why he was a good Jewish person. I have all these things. I was circumcised at the right time. I've followed all these laws and commandments. I have been honorable. I have followed all the rules. I have made sure that everyone knows just how just and how good I am in God's eyes. But then what? I count it all loss. For his sake, for Christ's sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Why would they, these things be rubbish? Because they oftentimes end up distracting us from what actually matters. The thing is that Paul knew that he had been spending so much time trying to be a good Jewish member of his community that he was completely missing out on the fact that the Messiah had come. Until the day where Jesus Christ has to smack him upside the head on the road with a giant bright light and say, what are you doing to me? And to realize that oftentimes what we have, what we can hold on to, what we say, this is mine We say, this is who I am. But by doing so, we oftentimes get distracted from who God is and from what he has done and continues to do, whether through us, around us, sometimes in spite of us. And that brings us to the third thing, is that in addition to the idea of we say, I am what I do or I am what I have, is that oftentimes we also ask this question of how do people see us? How do people view us? Because we might end up saying, whatever I've accomplished and whatever I possess changes the way that I appear. So we say, I am what I do, I am what I have, and I am what I appear to be. I'm hoping so much that at some point in time, I do not have to open up the internet and see Will Smith slapping Chris Rock. 
please make it stop. I don't know why. It's like a week ago. We have the Academy Awards, and right in the middle of nowhere, he just walks up and decides to slap the person. And with this is that there has been speculation every single day about why it happened, how it happened, whether it happened, was it, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just sitting there like, there's a war in Ukraine. We've got a recession. What is wrong with you people? But with that is that we end up seeing that here is a particular individual that as much as has been a role model for however many years, at that moment in time, doesn't want to appear weak in front of his spouse and goes up in front of the entire world to hit someone in the face, to try to save his own face. The thing is that I don't know too much about who he is on the inside because I don't know him very personally, like at all. But with that is realizing that oftentimes we are so concerned about what we do or don't appear to be that we end up putting ourselves out there in ways that betray who we truly are. In our efforts to appear strong, to appear intelligent, to be able to get others to respect us is that oftentimes we can end up putting forth more of an image than we do about asking who God has called us to be. Because at that moment in time, I'm, I'm totally sure that later on down the line, he totally could have held him accountable and said, hey, dude, don't make, don't make fun of my wife. And it probably would have been okay. But the thing is, is that oftentimes we spend so long worrying about what seems to be who we are that we don't actually ask the question of who God is actually calling us to be. In our, in our gospel passage, how terrible would it be if 2,000 years later, the main thing that people remembered about you is that you got upset about the housekeeping? Poor Martha. She's just over there trying to make everything look nice and everything taken care of. And, and she really just wants to make sure that Jesus has a good time and everybody else does too. And she's feeling tired and she's feeling frustrated. And she's like, I need everything to look exactly the way it's supposed to be. And Jesus, why can't you just get Mary to come and help me out? And it's like, the Messiah who has come into the world to bring hope and forgiveness and new life. And you want him to make sure Mary sweeps. It's not to say that sweeping doesn't matter. But at that moment in time, when we know that the reconciliation, the redemption of Israel had finally come, at that moment in time, is it as important to worry about how the place looks as it is to be in the presence of the one who changes everything? Is it more important that we make sure that the cups are all lined up on the shelf? Or is it more important to sit with the one who has brought us hope and peace? See, that's the thing, is that oftentimes we can spend so much time worrying about, have I done enough to look good? Have I done enough to appear well? Have I done enough to make sure that my public appearance is exactly what I want it to be? And then oftentimes we can end up struggling because we find that we're more worried about what's 
our family looks like than about what our family is going through. We worry more about making sure that we appear good in front of the boss rather than am I actually accomplishing what I'm supposed to do. We worry more about have I appeared to be the Christian that I'm supposed to be or have I actually been spending time with God asking him to change and shape my heart from stone to flesh. And that's the hard part about this is that when we spend so much time trying to say, I am what I do, we don't ask, how does God define who we are? And that's the thing about what it is to come back to Jesus sitting there saying, Mary has chosen the right thing. She has chosen what is best. She has chosen the good portion. She has chosen to be with me. Because that's the thing about what it is that salvation does, is that it is not start off making sure that you're getting the tasks done, and then later on you get to be with Jesus and it'll be good. Flip it around. We start off with the God who says, you are my child. And all the tasks and all the possessions, and all the appearances, and everything about it will not matter if it doesn't start there. And that's hard. Because sometimes we have to sit back when we think, if only I do a little bit more, if only I add a little bit more, if only I strive a little bit harder. And oftentimes, we're trying so hard to do what needs to get done, that we don't take a step back and ask, who is it that everyone truly needs to know and truly needs to trust in? Because that's the thing about God defining us, is that we don't have to worry, what's your name and then what do you do? What's your name and who are you? A child of God. And then that ends up filtering everything else afterward. You see, God defines what you do and what you don't do. God is there saying, you know what, there are things I've not only given you the ability to do, and I've given you the passion to do, but I've also given you the opportunity to do. And maybe, if you're feeling helpless and unable to do something about it, maybe that's because I haven't called you to that. Your worth isn't by proving what you can do to me. Your worth has already been given to you. And I, as your Lord and Savior, are now calling you into things with joy because God gets to define what you do and what you don't do. And when he does, what we end up discovering is joy and purpose, and meaning. Because instead of spending all of our time trying to do the things that might be outside of our grasp, instead, we get to spend time with God who then says, now I'm empowering you to do these things. And the joy and the freedom of doing what is actually within God's hands for us to do. But God also defines the when and the then. 
because oftentimes we spend so much time seeing our limitations on this is all I can do, this is all the time, this is all the money, this is all the energy that I have. So when I accomplish this, then I'll do that. When I finally get everything in order over here, then I can spend more time helping out the neighborhood and the community and the people in my church. When I've finally gotten this paid off, then I can actually start contributing. When I finally don't have all these things stressing me out, then I can really spend time with God and let God start doing some things in me and realizing that God is not saying, I haven't put that when and that then for you. You made that up. That is not from me. Because instead, God also defines the how and the now. How does God call you to hear him and to see him now? You will not be able to accomplish every single thing that you could ever imagine doing in your life. I've got a list of a dozen places I want to go visit. We're in the middle of COVID. I don't get to go to any of them. I want to see Australia. They don't like us apparently. But with that is that if we spend so much time waiting to check off all the to-dos, then we don't ask How are we called by God now? How is he sending us now? How is he equipping us now? Not when I get this done, then I can finally be. No, here, now. God is with us. Whatever he has called us to now, that is what he sees and what he desires. Because the whole point is not, have I gotten enough done? Have I gone through the list? It's been accomplished. So now, we don't have to worry, did I get everything in the right order? Have I taken care of all these things? So then I can take care of those things, and then I can have everything down the list. As it said, that right here, right now, you are God's child. Right here, right now, you have a purpose and a meaning, not by what you're doing, but because you have been loved and redeemed by God himself. Right here, right now. You have meaning. What is your name? I'm Jason Marino. What do you do? Who knows? But I am a child of God. And everything comes from that. Thanks be to God.